0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: We're back with another episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay. And we have a birthday today at the time of recording, Kara.
2: We do. um, It's neither one of our birthdays, but basketball is celebrating its 129th birthday. So pretty big milestone. Jenny, I know you have what you like to call not random, but fun facts about the day. So. I'll let you give us some more insight on what happened 129 years ago.
1: Yes, I, I love this day. Obviously, favorite sport is 129 years strong today. Thank you to Dr. James Naismith. I think the number one thing I want to point out is that basketball may have not been named basketball, if not for like a little bit of happenstance. And so the story goes that Dr. James Naismith was coming up with this and he asked a janitor for something to put the ball into. And basically the janitor came back with a couple of peach baskets. But Dr. Naismith had originally wanted some boxes and maybe the janitor could have brought back a garbage can or something. So I genuinely think that we could have had garbage ball or boxes ball instead of basketball. Um, I also love the fact that, and I didn't know this until, until I believe today, actually, I've read something about it, where the basketball hoop stands at 10 feet high, because James Naismith in the gym that they were in, it had a track above. Um, actually, at Marquette, there's an old gym where they used to play basketball games, and it has the same kind of track. It was built in the 30s. And basically, he just hung it to the bottom railing of that track, which happened to be 10 feet high above the gym floor. And that's where it still stands today, I guess, unless you're Dwight Howard and you're dunking on a 12-foot hoop in a dunk contest. But
0: I just think it's
1: a really cool thing. One last fun, not random fact. If you had followed out originally in the rules, I think the rules were like 600 words long. Now it's like 3,000, somewhere in the thousands for for the sport of basketball. If you had followed out, nobody replaced you until the next basket was scored, which I kind of like. Like if that happened nowadays, it, it, like four guys on the floor against five it's you do three on two and like different kind of weaves and such in practice it's like why not just just try it in gameplay um I'm but afraid. last but
2: not, I love that too.
1: <laughs> yes and then last but not least my favorite quote about about Naismith inventing the game he said the invention of basketball was not an accident it was developed to meet a need and I can genuinely say that I need basketball in my life so Thank you, Dr. Naismith and happy birthday to basketball.
2: Because of that milestone and because of Dr. Naismith, we have a lot to talk about today. A lot of stories to catch up on from the past week of college basketball. Um, One of, if not the most important, is Florida's Keontae Johnson shared a video on Friday thanking fans and medical staff at Florida State and Florida um, saying he was improving throughout the week. There's also a video posted by one of his teammates of him Up dancing around with them, Um, he continues to be receiving tests, um, but it was really awesome to see that news um, from him and then the Florida men's basketball account as well, just sharing thanks to people that had reached out and sent him well wishes. And I know that we're all happy to see that. We also had quite a few big games over the past weekend. We had Gonzaga and Iowa, which I know everyone was looking forward to. That was played after Gonzaga came off of a pause where they hadn't played in. 17 days, they ended up coming up with the victory behind 27 points from Jalen Suggs. Um, he was very impressive in that game. So was Luca Garza. He still got 30 points and 10 boards, so still had an impressive showing. Wisconsin uh, sealed up the Big Ten ACC Challenge by getting a huge win over Louisville. Um, it was Louisville's worst loss in more than 60 years as the Badgers won 85 48. So officially confirming the big 10 as the champions in that challenge. And then we had Carolina beating Kentucky over the weekend, which we'll get into a little bit later with our guests, but Kentucky fell to one and five after that loss. Um, And that is their worst start since the 1926, 27 season.
1: It's not looking so good, but I will say that one league that definitely has a lot of good things happening for it is the big East. Uh, I would just straight up watching basketball and basketball. Uh, It was just really fun to watch. They had, it started the day with Creighton beating UConn by two in overtime. Marquette loses at the buzzer on a three after Kobe McEwen uh, ties it with an and one four point play. He hit the three, hit the free throw. It was just a really fun time before, of course, the inevitable gut punch. And then Providence edges Seton Hall by three, also in overtime. So a lot happening in the Big East on the men's side. On the women's, it's nothing too new as Paige Beckers is continuing to have just an incredible freshman season and an incredible start. Um, She was named Big East Freshman of the Week again and led UConn to a 3-0 start in Big East play. Have to give the nod to Tara Vanderveer for now not only tying Pat Summit but she has officially surpassed her. And Kara, we had a lot of really cool reactions from the basketball world.
2: Yeah, i both the men's and women's side and professional. Um, there's a lot of awesome support for Tara Vanderveer. I was, thought it was very cool how the women, excuse me, how the Lady Vols Twitter account handled it. Um, you know, tweeting out messages of support and saying that Pat would be so proud. I thought that was just really awesome to see. And then cool to see um, stars like Steph Curry also weighing in, just congratulating her. Just a really big milestone in the sport of basketball.
1: And Stanford stays at number one in the AP poll again. They just beat UCLA, who moved up to number 10 as of the game, again, at the time recording Monday at 3 o'clock. And one person of two that I want to shout out in women's college basketball, Zaya Cook from South Carolina is absolutely balling out. She's shooting 55% from three. She's averaging almost 18 points as a sophomore for the team. Just someone that I really enjoy watching. And, I mean, the sky is the absolute limit for her. And then, last but not least, Caitlin Clark, the Iowa freshman point guard, she is averaging 29.8 points per game. She leads the nation, both men's and women's college basketball, in scoring. And on the men's side, you ask who is leading the nation in scoring with 29.3 points per game, just half a point off Luca Garza, none other than Iowa men's basketball's Luca Garza. So. Kaitlyn Clark also had the game winner against their rival Iowa State. She also put up 13 assists in a single game. So don't think that she's just a shooter with the ball in her hands. Just a really, really impressive showing. And again, from another young player in the women's game. One last story from women's basketball DePaul upset Kentucky 86 to 82 last week, and Kentucky dropped to number 13 in the poll. DePaul had five players in double figures for 477 of their points, excuse me, and it was DePaul's first top 10 win in nearly five years. And number 13 in the polls is a status that the Kentucky men's team would love to have, and what better a time to bring in our guest, Sean Smith, the founder of GoBigBlueCountry.com. Sean, let's get right to it. Kentucky is one in five. It is their worst start in almost 100 years, and the problems run deep. So what are the problems at hand?
0: Yeah, 2020 just got even more weird, right? No, I don't think anybody expected uh, Kentucky to be one in five. I certainly didn't at this point. Uh, I know I, I have been going back and listening to Cal's pressers. Now they're different this year with Zoom. But one thing that stands out to me, Jenny, is after their win versus more red state, I think it was a 36 point win. Cal started talking about the schedule and that this team could lose like six straight games which is kind of alarming when you go back and hear that after a win. But I think we all dismiss that as just Cal being Cal. Uh, But there's certainly some issues right now. I think a lot of it's fundamentals. Uh, If you watch basketball, I think you can see that they have a hard time running offense right now. And when you go every single game with an eight or nine minute scoreless spurt, it's hard to overcome that. And uh, I think that's a lot of the issues. I think that having 10 new guys that pretty much have no experience, Olivier Sarr being really the only thing that they have that has experience, Davion Mintz missed all of last season uh, coming back from an injury, I think all that's kind of just a recipe. That and playing all power five teams pretty much in this opening part of the schedule, it's, it's been brutal for this team.
1: You mentioned the offense. That's one of the problems that sticks out to me. But I want to know, do you see it as the pieces, maybe like the youth or the immaturity, whatever have you, or is it more more so like the inability to put these pieces together, kind of the chemistry or the buy-in, or is it something completely different? I know you mentioned fundamentals.
0: I I think it's a little bit of the AAU world getting caught up in it. I think that these guys are kind of used to getting their own and they're having a hard time playing without the ball in their hands. I mean, we're talking about kids who – on their high school basketball teams were were the the guy. I mean, they had the ball probably 90% of the time all the way across the board, and I think that's something that they're having trouble with right now. There's certainly an issue with the point guard spot. I don't think Terrence Clark came to Kentucky thinking he was going to be a point guard, kind of like with what John Calipari did with Tyreek Evans at Memphis, but that's certainly what Cal's trying to push right now. Uh, But I don't even think Terrence Clark believes that he's a point guard. I've I've seen some stuff on Twitter where – He's actually been favoriting a couple of tweets where people said he's not a point guard. He actually is a two or a three. Uh, I don't think that that's to like those tweets to kind of pump himself up maybe for some criticism. I think it's more that he actually doesn't believe in himself. So if you don't have a point guard that can get your offense set, Jenny, I just think that that's a recipe for disaster. Right now, also, I don't even know if they have a consistent guy that they can play through. They're trying to figure out what's going on with B.J. Boston. Uh, But certainly he's their leading scorer, but it's a very inefficient 14 to 15 points a game. He's not shooting the ball well, so that's a problem. And then Olivier Saar, we're talking about a guy who was third-team All-ACC last year, but he had numbers, I think he put up 30 against Notre Dame last year, 25 against Duke. If I told you those two numbers, you'd probably think he was a first-team, second-team guy. But inconsistencies killed him, and that's what's killing him at Kentucky now, that and foul trouble. And I just don't think that they really know who who they want to play through. We've
1: talked a lot about experience on our podcast and how, especially in a year of COVID, uh, why experience is so important in depth as well, but no school has taken advantage of the one and done rule more than Kentucky. But with this being such an unusual season due to COVID, is it a sign of the times or is Kentucky just truly suffering from the youthful tendencies that we've mentioned?
0: I think there's a lot. I think all those factors play in. Certainly, this, I, I I keep asking myself, would it be different if they had the crowd to feed off of at Rupp Arena or if things were normal? But then you look around, and you see other programs in college basketball. Gonzaga's not having a problem. Baylor's not having a problem. You know, Duke just picked up a big win recently. So when you look at those things, it, it, you kind of, you don't want to make excuses, uh, but... You know, 10 new guys on a roster. They thought they'd have Keon Brooks at this point. He's out with a with an injury that at this point, who knows when he's going to return. The cal has been saying two to three weeks now for about two months. So uh, that certainly changes things. I think when he gets back, it will help to get some experience. Uh, he's the one that actually came out and talked uh, post-game after UNC. Didn't even play a single minute, but nobody wanted to come talk to the media after the loss. So I, I just think that there's a lot of guys – on this team that are new, they're trying to find their way. They're trying to find out who they are in a in a year where they didn't have the exhibition games or those non-power five games. Look, it's it's tough playing Notre Dame. It's tough playing Georgia Tech. Even if you are all five star talent, those are developed college basketball players with experience. And you said it, experience pays off. And uh, those teams, they they know how to win. Kentucky does not know how to win.
1: So, where are the bright spots? I have seen you tweet that you like the, one, the way Davion Mintz has played and what he brings to the Cats. What are maybe some positives of this team or flashes of it that we've seen?
0: Mintz is definitely a positive. I, th- I think that's a guy given the the rule, you know, with everybody getting this blanket waiver. That's a guy that I think John Calipari would take again next year if he wants to come back for another season. Uh, with him, though, I think it's just his his the way he attacks it. I mean, he came out, got off to a hot start against North Carolina. Started shooting the ball better. And and Jenny, when you look at the overall stats on this team, there's one problem. Uh Davion Mintz is the only player on the roster that has a positive assist to turnover ratio through six games. That that's a problem. That that also kind of feeds in. You you can kind of see the offensive struggles right there alone. Uh, but that's a guy who understands how to play. He played big time basketball at Creighton, even though it's not a power five, that is very good basketball in that conference. Uh, so that's a positive. I think Devin Askew kind of found himself against North Carolina, started playing a little bit more to what I think Kentucky fans expected to see from him. Olivier Sarr, when he when he's effective, he's very good, but didn't even attempt a shot Saturday. That That's something that they can't have. So I think there's some pieces to build, but this team just needs a win. I mean, it, no matter how if it comes, if it's a one-point win, if it's a ten-point win, they just need a win, something to – get them moving in the right direction because I I do think there's pieces to build around. They just need something good to happen to them right now.
1: And if it came in the next game, I'm sure that would especially bode well for them. But before we even get there, I want to talk about how this is a program that is statistically the most successful NCAA Division I men's basketball program in history in terms of all-time wins, win percentage. They have this prestige about them and normally Cal is able to turn a roster into into great production and a, and a really well-oiled machine. Why is that? I mean, we've talked about so many of the issues, right? But if you had to sum it up to maybe one of the main things, why isn't why isn't this team able to turn the corner just yet?
0: I don't know if they trust him yet. I think that's a thing when you have freshmen and you have guys who. For their entire life, they've heard nothing but good things said about them. And right now, when they when they're struggling, I mean, you're seeing it on this roster. I, I do think that there's some selfish tendance, tendencies. Not that that's intentional. I kind of think that that's you know normal when you have a group of guys who have been used to having their ego stroked and stuff for their entire life. Uh, I think that is playing into this right now, and I think that the frustration is starting to boil over. And two. I mean, this is something that Cal's done for 12 years at Kentucky. There's only been one season that it didn't work out that they didn't get it figured out. And, you know, we kind of throw that one to the side because they had a significant injury to Nerlens Noel that season. So that one's kind of thrown to the side. This one just feels different because – they're on the wrong side of history right now. I mean, every single game I'm writing a post-game column about how it's getting worse and how we keep going further back, not Team 26. If they lose Saturday, how far do we go back? Because, I mean, it's certainly getting to that point. So I think that that's a lot to do with it. Is I think that there's a lack of trust. And not to say that, I mean, when you're on a roster, when you're on a team, there's got to be trust within your teammates. There's got to be trust in your coaching staff. I think Cal has to trust his guys a little bit more, too. I think it goes both ways. Uh, there's certainly some guys there that I think they feel like they deserve a little bit more running games, but Cal, Cal's a guy that likes to play six to seven guys if he has his way. And he actually said that on his radio show tonight, that he's going with a seven man rotation until they get this figured out. So, uh, playing less guys instead of playing nine, like he has been.
1: Every program goes through a season like this. North Carolina suffered through it last year. They went 14 and 19. But let's go over under on this. Is Kentucky's record this season going to be better or worse than the fourteen and nineteen mark last year that the Tar Heels had?
0: Well, with uh, with you know fewer games this season, it, it's going to be hard to get the fourteen. Uh, if that's the thing right now, Jenny, is what do they have to do to get into the NCAA tournament? I mean, even with less, you know, fewer games. A body of work still a body of work, and right now Kentucky doesn't have anything to show for. They have a win against Moorhead State, and they have some losses that I do think are going to look bad when they get to, to March. Uh, Seth Davis actually made a comment the other day at the halftime show and after it was over that Kentucky's schedule gets easier. Does it, though? Because And then if it does, how does that help them? Because then what do they have to show for? Uh, I would put it, if they get to 14 wins... Then I think that this team got it figured out because there are some good teams in the SEC. They play Tennessee twice. They play Florida. They're going to lose some games in that conference. I I, I look at it if they can go thirteen and five in SEC play, then they've got it figured out and have a chance to do something and get in postseason play. Uh, but it comes back to to this too. I think Kentucky's in a in a tough spot as a program right now, where obviously it's catered to the one and done. They have a hard time convincing kids to stick around. Look at Jamal Baker, what he's doing at Arizona right now. You can't tell me that that's a kid that wouldn't help at Kentucky that should have developed at Kentucky. But I guess he just, uh, like a lot of guys that transfer out, they don't see their their place in that program. So if you're struggling and you're 1-5 and, and a lot of these guys come back next season, then you can kind of, it makes it worth it. But if, let's say, they lose B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark to the NBA, and then Olivier Saar to graduation, a lot of these pieces – then you kind of struggled for no reason. And I think that's the biggest concern right now with Kentucky fans. Is like, is this, if this pays off and a lot of these guys come back, then it's okay. But right now, I mean, kind of have to think that it's going to be pretty much a new roster in Lexington again next year.
1: Yeah. One of the questions I wanted to ask you about was NCAA tournament implications with a start like this. You mentioned the full body of work. It will be interesting to see how it shakes out for the whole country. And then obviously for Kentucky basketball, but Let's get back to UNC for a quick moment. What do we know about Cam Fletcher's leave of absence? And he had the moment at the end of their game against the Tar Heels.
0: Yeah, I, I was very surprised this morning when I got the the notification that John Calipari actually went to Twitter uh, to say what he did. That That's so out of character for John Calipari. It's so out of character for any college basketball coach, any college coach actually to to go to social media. And it, it wasn't it definitely wasn't positive. It was kind of, you know, you're either going to, you need to step away and get this figured out and figure out if you can be a part of this program, both on and off the floor. That's not a very good message. And they've had players leave this program, Jenny. I mean, Quade Green a couple years ago left mid-season. Khalil Whitney left last year in January. Both of those players got positive messages when they left the program. That's what surprised me about this one today. This one was kind of just, uh, I mean, let it's put it out there, it kind of you know, ran over him with the bus, packed him over today, and which is, I think, honestly, will be used against them in recruiting. I think that every coach that recruits against Kentucky right now is going to pull that tweet and use it against them. But with Fletcher's situation, uh, I think what I heard today is that there's a power struggle going on right now. That Cal is having a very hard time convincing some of these guys with the egos. Uh, I think Fletcher was uh, giving some, you know, some pushback. Certainly. It bled over to the bench the other day, and you can turn on the tape and watch the final two minutes, and there was a lot going on that I don't think people realized uh, from him crying to Terrence Clark getting frustrated uh, to uh, Cameron Fletcher actually leaving the bench area, which somehow we got, uh, got trapped into thinking that Terrence Clark also left the bench, but that was actually false, and UK confirmed that he was still on the bench at the end of the game. But Fletcher left the bench. Uh, Rob Harris, the strength and conditioning coach, was seen, you know, trying to cover his face with a towel, but the cameras caught him. I don't really know what that situation means moving forward. Uh, I think it – could he rejoin the team at some point this season? I think Cal's tweet kind of left that door open. Uh, Fletcher did apologize to Kentucky fans yesterday, but he did fly out of Lexington yesterday. And there are some reports that people did see him at the airport and he wasn't being very discreet with his phone call conversation, whoever he was talking to and was, uh, was overheard saying some pretty negative things about Cal and about the program. So it's certainly not a good situation right now.
1: Definitely adds fuel to the fire and maybe what some have called on Twitter, a dumpster fire, but nonetheless, I, I do want to ask you about how the highs and lows of a Kentucky basketball season affect the mood of the state on a daily basis. You are from Kentucky. I know that you're in the media so you can sit between the fandom and whatever else, but um, even on social, I mean, the tone must be affected. I know that COVID makes those day-to-day interactions a little bit different, but how did these highs and lows affect the state of Kentucky when Kentucky basketball is like this?
0: <laughs> it's uh, that's what Kentucky people live for is Kentucky basketball. And then in the recent years, they've, They've latched on to the football program as well. And this season didn't go as planned. And then with it being a COVID season, uh, I think Kentucky fans were just kind of hanging their hat on this team being good and it being fun to watch. And right now it's not that. Uh I get a lot of the with my DMs being open, I get a lot of the uh Kentucky fans just wanting to vent and thing. I understand it. I was a fan of this program before I joined as media and before it became a job. So I understand the frustration. That fans have, Uh, I think uh, fans—they're certainly not trying to rush John Calipari out of Lexington. I think every now and then, they—I think I'd be lying if I said that they didn't get the one and done fatigue. Uh, But when you have years like this, uh, I think in the back of everybody's mind, they think that Kentucky will get it figured out because we've—we've seen the story so many times. It typically 95% of the times it, it works out, even though it doesn't end in a title every single time or a Final Four appearance they're at least one of the teams that are there to contend for it when it gets to that final second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So I would say that the mood right now, it's uh it's not a very happy holiday season right now in the state of Kentucky,
1: but it could be next game Saturday, December 26th against Louisville. There were points a while back where this game even happening was TBD, but let's talk positivity here because we both know that we need it. What would a win against Chris Max squad mean? <laughs>
0: It would be the shot in the arm that this team needs. Uh, one, just because of the, the dominance that Kentucky's had against Louisville in this series since John Calipari arrived at Kentucky in 2009. They only lost twice. Uh, and, you know, the fact that Chris Mack kind of had the beef with Cal in the preseason over the scheduling of the game and... You know the back and forth and the hidden message that Cal had in a video that he posted to, just posted to the UK Twitter account. So there's a lot to go in this game. Uh, you're one in five. You certainly don't want to pile on and be one in six. That included a loss to Louisville. So uh, I think Cal knows how big this game is. Cal was talking about it on the radio show tonight. That ESPN actually it was it was set for ESPN two at noon Eastern time. It's since been moved to ESPN at one. And Cal says that. The reason they did that is because they kind of want to, uh, you know, see Kentucky lose again, and then it be on the national network in the primetime spot there on Saturday. So he said he's not having it; they're not going to let it happen. So maybe that's his edge uh, that he has. I don't know. He's looking for anything with this team right now. But there, there's two games coming up, Jenny. That. I think would tell the tale about how this year's going. They they rarely lose to Louisville, and they haven't lost to Mississippi State since he's been in Lexington. And those are two of the next three. You lose those two, then I can't. I think you can kind of just chalk it up that uh, this year's uh, kind of going the other direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they pull out the win, at least it would be on ESPN. I mean, like I said, we'll see what happens. Obviously, there's there's drama either way. But Louisville had lost by 37 to Wisconsin. Yeah. You're expected to get Jones back. What is the biggest challenge that they face against this Louisville team?
0: I think just playing consistent for 40 minutes. I think right now Kentucky's problem is more they they need to worry about themselves than worrying about the opponent. Uh, They've not played 40 minutes, Jenny, all season. They'll play 20, they'll play 25, but they've not been able to sustain energy for 40 minutes. They'll have those spurts, like I was talking about earlier, where they'll go nine or 10 minutes without a score. Uh, You can't win games in college basketball with that that kind of uh, inefficiency on the offensive end. So that's the thing that I think is the biggest challenge. Obviously, they're going to be in the Yum Center. Uh, There's There's going to be a lot of talk this week about, you know, is this Cal's worst team? I know you're already seeing that written and stuff. Is it worse than the 2013 team that went to the NIT? Uh, Certainly the record is there. Uh, The 2013 team also didn't beat anybody in the non-conference, and they lost to Louisville. So you kind of want to be on the right side of that this Saturday. So I think that's the biggest challenge is just stay in the course and not, you know, Nick Saban always throws out the line, don't drink the poison. And right now the poison's not the positivity. The poison's the negativity. And if they listen to the negativity, it's going to be easy to kind of just shut this thing off and just coast and say, you know what, this year's lost. Uh, But Saturday would certainly be a step in the right direction. And I, I have to think that John Calipari walking in the Yum Center Saturday is going to have some confidence on his side when you've won a lot, a lot of games in that building. Maybe this is where Kentucky gets it figured out. Maybe they need a rivalry to kind of ignite something and get it going.
1: So big picture, Give me your top three teams in the SEC going into conference play because obviously right after Louisville they'll they'll get right into conference play.
0: I would have said Kentucky early in the season. I, I don't have them in there as, as it stands as far as talent though and getting it right. I think that when they're when they when they're at their best, let's say February, if they get it figured out, they're certainly one of the top three most talented teams. I think right now at the top, you got to go with Tennessee. I think Tennessee has all the making of a Final Four contender. I think Rick Barnes, this could be the year that he gets back to a Final Four, gets Tennessee to their first. I still like Nate Oates in Alabama. I really like what he's doing there. He's recruiting very well. I like their style of play. They have lost some games. They did just lose to Western Kentucky recently, but I would throw them there as well. And I, I like Florida and Arkansas. And, then you know, Georgia started off hot, but it's hard to pick a top three or four right now just because I don't know a lot about these teams because uh, we've still yet to see uh, Arkansas really play someone, but I think what Eric Musselman's doing there with that program, I, I think those are four teams that I think could really take a step forward and and do something the SEC, take advantage of Kentucky having a down year.
1: Yeah, most definitely. And Sean, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I know it's not the most positive Kentucky conversation that we could have had. I hope for your sake, for the whole state, for every person in BBN that that they can get the win that they need to, to get a little bit of Christmas cheer in them, but I really do appreciate the time.
0: Yeah, No problem. We'll, we'll cover in this team. I'll say this uh, when it comes to the Kentucky, whether they're winning or losing Jenny, Kentucky fans are going to say they're not going to watch the next game. They're lying. They're going to be sitting there watching the next game, hoping they get it figured out. So uh, certainly lack of uh, not going to be a lack of coverage. This team's easy to cover.
1: Definitely. And the Kentucky haters will still be watching, I'm sure, to see what happens as well. So either way, Sean, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thank you.
1: A big thank you to Sean for joining us in breaking down Kentucky men's basketball. Obviously one of the most storied rivalries in the game, Kentucky-Louisville, this Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And that's just one of the slew of games that we have to watch for this upcoming Christmas week in college
2: basketball, Kara. We do have some big matchups. We have Kansas-West Virginia on Tuesday, so that'll be some Big 12 action. We also have quite a few Big Ten games on Christmas Day. I know I'll be working as Michigan State takes on Wisconsin to start off the day. Um, And on the 26th, Virginia and Gonzaga announced last week that they'll be playing in Texas. Virginia's coming off of their pause this week. Gonzaga looks to keep things rolling after their big win this past weekend. And another matchup we have to talk about is Marquette Villanova, because Jenny, you said if Marquette gets Another top ten win, beating Villanova, you're going to dye your hair blue.
1: So this is accurate, and now I have, I have felt that I am being held to it because not only have people told me they have screenshotted it, I had Theo John, one of the Marquette men's players who I worked with when I was at Marquette, uh, he messages me and said, I'm saving this. So the stakes are high. It is solidified. Uh, if Marquette does indeed beat Villanova, for yet another top 10 win this season, I will be dying my hair blue. It'll be like, people were like, oh, light blue, navy blue, neon, like, what are you doing? Just blue, it doesn't even matter. And people were saying, well, Villanova's blue. Okay, well, my hair is gold. So we we get a little bit of blue and gold. Um, I only did this because, and in the past, like the Wisconsin game, I said, I'll do a TikTok dance. We got to get creative with how we show our fandom nowadays in 2020. I mean, for a year where I can't be in person, um, and quite honestly, for a year where I'm no longer working directly in college basketball, I get to be a little bit more of a of a fan again. And so, yes, Marquette, Marquette basketball, Marquette fans. If Marquette
2: beats Villanova
1: for yet another top ten win, I will be dying. My hair blue. That's
2: just- I love it. I have the screenshot too, so don't worry. Um, we'll all be holding you to it.
1: <laughs> I'm glad that you can keep me in check, Kara. And then I actually wanted to ask you, Christmas Day games, do you like them? Like if you lose, is it still happy because it's Christmas? Or do you just have to win and then it, it builds even more? Like how how do you feel with a, with a Christmas Day work day?
2: It's gonna be kind of weird. I mean, we've never done actually Christmas Day. There's been you know plenty of Thanksgiving games in the past. Um, It kind of doesn't end up feeling like Thanksgiving when you're, you know, in the gym somewhere playing, although we keep it fun and have done, you know, traditional Thanksgiving meals and stuff like that. So I'm excited, though. Um, Like I said, there's going to be quite a few Big Ten games. I know I'm a huge football fan. There'll be some big football games. So I think it'll just be kind of a cool day of sports. And, you know, 2020 has been weird. So why not do something a little bit different?
1: I love it. And hey, we'll be preoccupied because on the women's side, there aren't that many games. Uh, UConn plays Villanova on Tuesday. DePaul plays Creighton as well on Tuesday. Some Big East play happening, but it does get a little quiet. Obviously, conference play continues, uh, but we'll have, have plenty of men's basketball, football, and so on and so forth to, like I said, keep us preoccupied. But hey... We're about to close out the year. So why not close out with our final segment in a year that has been kind of hell. Um, but Hey, this is, this is the positive spin on it. So this is our final four and Kara, we need to talk about our four positives from 2020. So I I need to ask you, what do you think are our four positive things that have happened for you in 2020?
2: So I. Trying to think of something like you know fun things. Some things that have happened personally to me, so I came up with a couple or of, of four things. Number one that immediately came to mind is Taylor Swift dropped not one but two albums this year. So both of them were surprises too, which was kind of fun. um You know she was like hey tomorrow at midnight we're doing it. She did that in July. She did that a couple of weeks ago. So that's been a positive. Obviously she's had some more time on her hands to sit down and write music. My second one, I had a couple cousins um, get married, obviously not the same, they couldn't have the big wedding, but just exp- expanding the family, which is exciting, and some friends get engaged as well. Um, so those were big in 2020. My third thing, I got to spend a lot of time with my family, especially, you know, when we we're all quarantined together and just that time at home that I haven't gotten in a couple years, literally just living at home hanging out every day, me working from home. Um, that was a huge blessing for the year. And sports actually, Jenny, involves you. Um, I wrote down your Keep Showing Up campaign. I think it was just such an awesome, not idea, idea, it's been your idea for a while, but an awesome way to do it in 2020, when, like you said, you can't really go out and participate in some of the marches or the runs you've been doing, um, but just a way for people to support and who have a big message on their shirt that says keep showing up have people asking all the donations you got so that was my number four
1: I knew you were gonna like make me feel all mushy and gushy if you're gonna bring up like positives and I didn't know that you were gonna say that but Kara thank you again we'll always shout you out for being the first shirt that because at this point I actually just checked the numbers the other day it's like almost 1700 shirts. So there's 1700 people walking around with these shirts on and almost $17,000 in total, uh, which is again, insane. Um, so that's absolutely one of my positives. And I think it, it ties in with another positive that I was thinking about is just like reconnecting to my own mental health and like thinking about it more like I'm, I'm reading a book right now, actually. And, uh, I think it's called 101 Essays That Will Change Your Life. And it's just these short little essays about like ways of thinking or ways of living. And I have a habit journal and a habit tracker that I do. Um, and it just is like my, my little things for each day. And then over a month span, I check if I if I did them or not. Um, and it's like something as simple as like brush my teeth, make my bed to journal, pray, do my crossword, go for a walk or even things that I don't do as often just to see where it kind of stacks out. But yeah. So Positive number one, the outpour from people who supported the Keep Showing Up campaign. Number two, reconnecting to my own mental health. One of my favorite things, nuggets, I'll call it, from that book that I'm reading, talks about the importance of a routine. And everyone knows they're important, right? But I was like, why does everyone say routine is so important? And like all these super successful people always say like, oh yeah, I have my routine where I read the newspaper and I do this like every billionaire, I feel like, and I was like, why is it important? And this book talks about how routine and habitualness basically affects your mood. Um, because you won't be, you know, wavered by whatever else happens. Um, if you have that consistency within your, your life and, um, basically being committed to something enough about the mental health and the mental aspect, I am also grateful for my job. Uh, quite honestly, I was unemployed for a couple months. I was, looking for a job, and I just couldn't wait to like be back contributing to something and working in basketball. And I know I already harped on the fact that it's basketball's birthday, but like I am just so thankful for basketball and for this job because heck, if Dr. James Naismith didn't invent this sport 129 years ago today, I wouldn't have my job. So thank you uh, to him again. And, and that has to be another positive, my job in basketball, because it's it's literally a dream. Lastly, one last positive in a year full of some negatives, some twists and turns. I would honestly just say, like, the, the fact that we got back to basics. We got back to asking people, like, how are you? We got back to calling people randomly. Kara and I FaceTimed, like, every single day just talking about what's happening in the college basketball world, and now here we are recording it on a podcast, and so lots of positives. And I'll just end this by saying I'm really grateful for Pure Hoops Media and for Kara and Mike and and everyone involved, Bruce as well. I just think this is definitely one of the positives. I mean, now I'm just going to start rambling, right? There's a lot of positives when you sit down. I write three gratefuls down every day, but there are a lot of positives when you sit down and think about it. And I'm just grateful. Another episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay is in the books. Thanks to Sean Smith for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Tom Phillip edits the show and we always appreciate his contributions. And please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows.
2: Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday is the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday and we'll be back every Tuesday with Full Court. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. See you next week on Full Court with Fisher &
0: Full Court is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.